Ooh, there's a lot of wind noise. That can only mean one thing. We went mobile. You're in the doghouse. What's up, everybody? It is your boy, D. Roy, and this is the Doghouse Fantasy Football Podcast, the mobile version. It is 2.30 in the morning. I am on my way to beautiful Madison, Wisconsin. I am at work. I'm at work, my friends. It is what it is. I didn't have time last night to do the podcast, so I figured, shit, let's just do it while I'm at work. Get paid to do this. Works out for me. Find me on Twitter and Instagram at RoyDog underscore 13 and on Facebook, Dennis M. Roy over there. Hope everybody is having a good new year so far. Uh, yeah, so spreadsheets coming along. It took a little bit longer to delete some of the other teams that did not make the playoffs for this season. That's kind of where the timing issues came into, um, but I didn't want to drag it. I didn't want to drag that portion of it into Wednesday or Thursday, and I'm trying to get it, this thing pounded out as soon as humanly possible. I'm hoping to have it out Wednesday night, uh, but I do need to still work on some of the stuff for the target uh, spreadsheet. And so I may not release it, fully release it, until uh, maybe Thursday. But uh, I wanted to get this podcast, this would technically be the, it's Wednesday, but this is going to be our Tuesday podcast uh, for this week. And so your Wednesday night podcast, I'm hoping might be a quick run through for the wild card slate spreadsheet will be the two three game slates the saturday slate and the sunday slate and then you will also see a spreadsheet come across that will handle the full six game weekend so you're going to have a little bit of pricing differences on there i'm trying to figure out how exactly i want to work this for the article this week so as not to confuse everybody. So what's probably going to happen is I'm going to have both sets 
of pricing and price ranks per position in that article and you're going to have you're going to want to look at the beginning of the article and it'll show you exactly how the pricing is set up probably it's going to be the six game pricing on top followed by the individual three game slate that the player is on and I will have them separated based on which slate they're in just kind of like last week with the 17 game slate where I gave you the full slate pricing but then put the individual player on their slate whether they were in the early slate or the late slate so it's going to be something like that hoping not to complicate it I'll have the podcast out that'll go through it uh, and try to unfucking complicate it but we'll see I mean it should all make sense in the end when you look at it I don't know if there's going to be some color details that maybe I'll change uh, based on maybe the bar separators in between uh, the FanDuel Yahoo and DK pricing you know just color the bars in yellow so then know hey this is six game this is noting six game versus three game uh something like that but in the end i'm expecting us to win it is what it is it'll be just another weekend so what do we want to talk about today well i was going to go start going through kind of a season recap on player positions did we find, you know, correct value? Were we good? Were were we high on guys and they came through, or were we high on guys and they didn't come through for seasonal? But I'm probably going to just go ahead and wait one week. So next week we'll have a day, a podcast that'll deal with, say, quarterbacks for the 2020 season. Uh, the following week will be running backs, and then. We'll do wide receiver and tight ends. Maybe on that week where we have two weeks in between the championship games and the Super Bowl, as kind of a filler. And I'd also like to get back in there to uh, look at the 2020 NFL draft and see if we were correct on player assessments or if we were off by a little bit. And we'll take a look at both the draft guide that went out and we will look at the dynasty write-up that I had for the rookie drafts and see where that all lines up but that's neither here nor there Uh, today we'll kind of talk about a little bit we'll keep this a little bit shorter I understand that it's a little bit noisier because of you know me being in the truck today Um, but we'll kind of talk I'll talk a little bit about know how I kind of process everything uh, for DFS both for cash and for GPPs uh, kind of things that I've learned to kind of stay away from um, and and survive each and every week I had a successful year on paper Um, 11 and 6 would be the actual total of winning weeks to losing weeks. Now, losing weeks, though, for me, it's not necessarily all losing weeks. Yes, it would be for 
two of the weeks would be I had lost across the board. Now, I play on FanDuel. I play on DraftKings. And I play on Yahoo. Yahoo, I'm still working on getting that kind of tweak on what I like. I play very little over there. I play maybe $20 in cash games over there because it's very hard to find those contests without getting in there right away. Most of them are one, $2 contests, and that's not really what I want to play. I'd rather play in a $5, $10 contest. So I'm still kind of tweaking everything over there. But there was only really two losing weeks that I had uh, where I lost, you know, both FanDuel and DK. The rest of them, the other four weeks, was really, I pushed, right? So I either won on FanDuel and lost on DK, or I won on DK and lost on FanDuel. So I didn't make money, but I also didn't lose money. But because I didn't gain anything, then there's no reason for me to include it, you know, in a in a positive in a positive light. It's more of a negative because I didn't make anything. I didn't add anything to my bankroll. But I mean, overall on the season, and granted, I had a GPP win in there. I went from two hundred dollars. To roughly $3,500 on the season. I increased my bankroll by $3,300 this year. Now you may sit there and go, well, you know, it's not really that much in the whole grand scheme of things because I should be playing higher volume, you know, providing content for people and whatnot. But I do run with a limited bankroll. Now the bankroll's higher. I'm certainly going to go into the 2021 season with more cash on hand going in. So that should build the bankroll further as long as I continue to see progress within my own work. And that's really the goal. This is the fifth season that I've been writing. Started in 2016, just kind of doing part-time writing, trying to figure out how exactly I wanted to go about attacking NFL DFS on a week-to-week basis. We built the spreadsheet. Steven Marcella helped me out with some of the formulas at the be- at the beginning to get everything set up to work between the pages, which was greatly appreciated. And we went from there. Now, the aesthetics, you know, how the setup to try and properly bring the information to other folks without confusing the shit out of them, that's been kind of the headache. But I think this year, with the information that was in there, I think I have everything kind of segregated in its own area where I'm comfortable with it. Now, it's a real pain in the ass to put that spreadsheet together. It takes a lot of time. A lot of that time, I don't have. But, 
it's efficient enough for right now. Do I want to build the efficiency up so I can have it out earlier with a lot less stress? Get a lot more sleep? Sure. Absolutely. Do I wish I had a partner in crime to help me work on it? Absolutely. But that's not the case. That's not the deal. That's something I have to deal with. That's something I suffer through. And it takes a lot of time. It's approximately between the spreadsheet and the article, I'm spending about 40 hours a week getting everything prepared and put together. You know, podcasts are, of course, you know, if we run two or three a week, it's only two or three hours, so that's a very minimal part of it. But most of it is spent within that spreadsheet. The article itself, because I'm trying to cut down on players more and more to get everything a little bit more concise for everyone, that has been running approximately about eight hours to do that article. Now, some people would probably sit there and go... Man, it seems like a hell of a lot of time. Are you sure you really need to spend that much time? I do. It's it's not what anybody else feels. It's what am I comfortable with? How much time do I have to spend to make sure that I'm comfortable with the material that I'm putting out? Not only for your play but I do it for my own play. I go into this looking for my own success while playing, right? I care about everybody else. I care about everybody else making money. That is a huge part of it. But if I'm not successful, how can I expect anybody else to be successful with the materials that I'm providing? You can. If you're going to be successful, I have to be successful. But the thing that irritates me the most, though, is that sometimes the message doesn't get across where I'm successful, but sometimes not enough other people are successful with those materials. And that is very irritating. And I deal with this year in and year out. Now some people have been like, well, you got too many players in there. Or I'm playing it a certain way, you know, the slate a certain way for cash uh, versus GPP. Well, if you're playing it a certain way and it's different than the way that I'm playing it, then it might be my fault for not conveying 
the correct message on how to play. I think we're good with the how the player pool is set up. I've pretty much decided I'm not messing with it unless I feel I need to cut down even more. I do kind of like to have those GPP options in there. And granted, people will say need to cut down on the player pool. Well, I'm also not, I'm also one person writing both a, for the cash, the 50-50s, and for tournaments. You're not getting two separate articles. You're getting two articles put into one article, right? And the thing that I think a lot of people make a mistake of is really trying to find that one player that nobody else is on. And what I call that is being way too cute. Especially in the time and a place of where daily fantasy, where fantasy football and fantasy sports is in general where there's so much information out there that you're literally trying to find this needle in a haystack or your perceived needle in a haystack type play. But there's hundreds, I would argue probably thousands of people out there looking at fantasy football on a week-to-week basis and you're trying to tell me that you're going to find somebody that none of those people have looked at. None of those people have thought about. Does that make sense? My philosophy and what I went into this year, because I noticed it last year, was... In DFS, no matter if you were in cash games or if you were in tournaments, they were the lineups that were out there were actually chalkier or more highly owned players. They were chalkier than how they were in years past. And that's like I said, there's a ton of information out there. You can't escape it. You can you can choose whomever you want out there. And I guarantee you, 90% of the player pool is probably the same. Everybody's looking at the same thing. So what I decided was, I'm not going to care about the percentages of where uh, of how many people are using a certain player I don't really care the only thing I care about is whether or not that player is the correct play are they going to come through are they going to hit value or possibly exceed value? 
or are they going to come up short and be a detriment to the lineup that I'm putting out there? And I think that's some something that we kind of overlook. Uh, we kind of take for granted some of the players that are in really good positions. And we just say, well, you know, 40% of the field is going to have them. So I'd rather just pass on him and I'll take my chances elsewhere. And then they'll use a guy that's maybe 5% owned but is not in a good spot. But they're banking clearly on the percentages. You know, it's a good player, just a bad spot. And they're banking on them coming through when the percentages would probably tell you, you know what, maybe you should pass on them this week. Another thing, when you look at what players to use and whatnot, you know, your contrarian plays and all that, is I think sometimes folks don't look at what the true function of the offense is. You know, just use running backs, for example. Like, is the team running? Or have they completely gone to more of a passing offense? For example, the Buffalo Bills. Sure, you might be high on, say, Devin Singletary or Zach Moss. And then you wanted to use them as a pivot off of maybe, say, a cheaper RB2 for your lineup. So you're like, well, this is a good spot for the running back. And he's going to be low-owned. So I, uh, and I like Devin Singletary as a player. I like his talents. So I think I'm going to take a shot here, and I'm going to use him instead of, say, God, earlier in the year... It wouldn't have been Jonathan Taylor in that spot at that time. Uh, maybe a James Robinson, who wasn't highly priced priced up at that point in time, right? So you say, all right, I'm going to use Devin Singletary instead of James Robinson. Even though James Robinson's in a great spot, he's an undrafted rookie. And I understand he's getting the full... Comp, almost the full complement of carries and he's getting all the pass targets. But Devin Singletary is in a really good spot despite the fact that Buffalo has been trending away from using their running backs in both the running and passing game and everything is coming off of Josh Allen's arm at quarterback. So you put this, you put Singletary in your lineup, and what en- inevitably ends up happening? He fails because Buffalo 
even though they're in a great spot for running backs, the function of the offense had changed. It went to more of a passing offense versus a run-heavy approach. And Josh Allen using play action or using his feet to bootleg out and throw the ball, you know, less often than, you know, definitely less often than what he, he did this year, which was an amazing year. We'll talk about that one uh, when we go over quarterbacks. But you kind of see what I'm saying. Like, you weren't, like, I, I got caught on this too. Like, maybe you weren't looking enough at the functioning of the offense saying, okay, it didn't matter if this guy's in a great spot or not. If you're not, if he, if he's not getting utilized, even with his snap share, he's not worth the risk of putting in the lineup. The upside that you think that you see is really a capped ceiling because of that offense. And I probably ran into that problem a little bit, too, even though it was a heavy run offense, looking at New England after Rex Burkhead, uh, after Rex Burkhead went down with his, uh, I believe, ACL about middle of the year. Damian Harris came back outside of... You know, Sonny Michelle was still on IR. And outside of James White, Damian Harris was getting basically the full complement of running back carries. So in a heavy, heavy run offense, he looked like a very good spot to go to. But what do I keep forgetting when I was going there? Cam Newton is still taking a shit ton of carries. He's taking a ton of goal line carries. So he's capping Damian Harris's upside. Damian Harris's ceiling is not up here where maybe he can hit 20, you know, 20 to 25. In reality, he's capped out at probably about 15 to 18. So those are kind of some of the things that you have to look at. Now, a lot of times when you're doing your lineup construction, you want stud running backs, correct? You want the guys that you knew, this is cash, I should specify, this is for cash, okay? So what I looked at was I wanted higher end running backs, I wanted guys that commanded that backfield who were definitely guaranteed to get the touches and we're in really good spots. That was how I went with the top two. And then uh, hopefully there was a value running back in a very good spot. And we used that as the third running back. Cash game lineups never went away from three running backs this year. There was sometimes talks, uh, talks of using maybe two tight ends. But tight end was such a shit show this year. It was never worth it to do two tight end sets in your cash game. 
I like to pay up at quarterback. But in general, I would find myself selecting a quarterback that was maybe the fifth highest priced quarterback, somewhere between five and ten. If I had to drop down in value, now if you read the articles, if you read them, not look at the player pool, just the player pool themselves. You'll no, you would have noticed in most of the articles in the GPP section, there was usually one quarterback where it was. It's a paydown option. We call it a cash slash GPP. Whereas, wherein I like his value for my cash games but you have to be willing to assume the risk that's involved with him because he could be a guy that could you know possibly shit the bed this is a Mitch Trubisky type deal this is Ryan Fitzpatrick earlier in the year this was uh, Kirk Cousins, we, like right when he was starting to get ready for his tear, and he did have a tear late in the year. That back half of the year was fucking phenomenal for Kirk Cousins, at least in fantasy wise. Generally, in cash, you don't want to run a ton of risk in it, right? You want your nice, cool, safe place. But I afforded you that option if you wanted to use it. And in my and in my own lineups, if I needed to fit a... Usually it was a running back. A running back that was guaranteed to get the volume, but I needed just that extra, like, 500 to 1,000 in cash, in salary. I would take a little bit of risk at my quarterback position. Do I recommend it all the time? No, absolutely not. It's it's on a slate-by-slate basis. I would rather have that 5 to 10 ranked quarterback in terms of price. There's a lot of times we just, I just was like, you know what? There's Deshaun Watson. There's a guy that's going to get it done every week. Guy like that. Aaron Rodgers wasn't all that expensive earlier in the year. The Packers were were showing us that they had a willingness to go pass heavy. So guess what? Rodgers is getting it done. Getting it done at a high level. So, I'm going to trust him in my 50-50s. He wasn't a risk. You have to pay attention to how this stuff is breaking down as the season progresses. It starts at week one. And after at least the first three or four weeks, you pretty much got a handle on how that offense is going to be run. That's why I strayed away from 
Aaron Jones a little bit. Said maybe in GPP. Maybe in GPP. Now, wide receivers, as far as cash games were concerned, most of the time it was mid, mid-range wide receivers, which is kind of how it had always been. On FanDuel, sometimes you can have a couple mid-range uh, wide receivers because the pricing is so soft. You can have a couple mid-range, and then you could have an upper tier, a higher tier uh, wide receiver if you really wanted to. But you didn't have to do it. Instead, I would have pref- I actually preferred saving, paying up a little bit at tight end, and trying to get um, trying to get the guaranteed points over there at a position that was very weak this year. So the guys that I was looking at. God, Calvin Ridley was so cheap earlier in the year. And so it was like DK Metcalf. DK Metcalf was just like this value guy that, you know, not really value, but mid-range, you know, mid-range value guy that you could use for like the whole first month and you would be absolutely fine with it. And that was kind of the guys that I went for. Ridley was in there for a while and then got up to the price of basically Julio Jones, surpassed Julio Jones. Um, who are some of the other guys that I liked? Oh my god, I'm gonna try and think back to all these guys. Uh, Will Fuller. Will Fuller was, Will Fuller was like our guy for like until he got suspended. I mean his his salary was just never going up. It all it stayed really fucking stagnant. And then what happened? When he got, you know, right before he got, uh, a couple weeks before he got suspended, actually, you know, Brandon Cook started going on. And we were like, oh, maybe we can start trusting Brandon Cooks in here. And then, of course, Will Fuller gets suspended right at the same, right about times that Cooks is getting all the great matchups. So we went from Will Fuller over to Brandon Cooks. And then he had, uh, Kiki Kuti, who came up big. Uh, as much as I, I do not like Kiki Kuti, uh, you couldn't argue with the value that he was bringing to the lineup. He was getting the targets, and that's why we kind of stayed away from Houston, Texas tight ends, because they were going, they were still, Watson was still preferring to go to the wide receivers between Brandon Cooks, Kiki Kuti, and then uh, up until couple weeks ago, Chad Hansen, the undrafted, the undrafted kid. So, I mean, that's really, it's really kind of just looking for that value in there, just not pushing your, not pushing your uh, salary cap with your wide receivers. You save most of it. You spend up at little bit, uh, definitely at one spot for running back, you could pay up a bit for your quarterback or grab value at quarterback. And then 
we use three running backs in cash. You don't have to in GPP. But then you'd get to your tight end position and you want to pay up. Everybody wanted to pay down when we should have been paying up and grabbing the guaranteed targets, guaranteed shots for touchdowns. Now, we'll deal with tight end here for a little bit. So Travis Kelsey was very, very good up until about the end of the year where, you know, he got up to ridiculous pricing um, where he was higher price. He was higher priced than, like, every single wide receiver outside of, say, Tyreek Hill, Calvin Ridley, and Devontae Adams. And even if you notice late in the year for Darren Waller, he was starting to come up that way as well. Now, it was still he was still, like, $1,500 to $2,000 uh, less, but it was still, he was in that same trajectory. So that's why in week 17 I had put Darren Waller in there because he was still a very viable option, even though it was a bad matchup. You can beat Denver with the tight end <coughs> late in the year because of all the injuries to their secondary. So that's the way that we looked at it kind of with that. So next season, we'll look again. We'll look again to paying up at tight end, value at wide receivers, maybe an expensive running back, a mid-range running back, and a value running back, and then a higher-priced quarterback. Defenses. What was the what was the thing that everybody did? What what's the big trend? Defenses don't matter. Just go ahead and pay down and just hunt for the turnover. And worked out for the most part. Didn't kill you. Didn't help you or hurt you. Uh, I think the one week that I actually had lost was the week that you had the New England Patriots against the L.A. Chargers. Now, the numbers showed that you could use the defense against the L.A. Chargers, but I kind of backed off of it just because it was New England. Uh, defense hadn't been playing all that great, so I backed off what happened. They scored, you know, that was the uh, couple touchdowns, uh, one of them being on special teams, and it kind of screwed us. So if you didn't have them in cash... For whatever reason, they were in cash because it was like a low to mid-range play that week. So if you didn't have that New England defense, you actually lost in cash, which was really funny. Um, and sucked at the same time. But uh, yeah, I think we'll just continue to pay down for defenses unless we, you know, get a slate where uh, maybe you can't. You don't need to pay up for, you know, one a couple of the other positions, and then maybe we just pay up for safety on defense. Um, but in reality, there it doesn't really make that much difference. It, if you don't get the right defense, the only way it's going to kill you is if you're 
trying to get first and say a, G, a GPP, you might lose out because you paid down. They didn't come through with you for you, and you only got a couple of points. So that's probably, uh, like I said, it's probably the only way that paying down at defense is going to kill you, even if you use the Jets. Like, say, week 17, you use the Jets, right? Oh, they suck. Yeah, but they still got you two points. They didn't kill the lineup. They afforded you the opportunity to get more points at wide receiver, running back, quarterback, and tight end. If you so chose. So that's kind of the way that I look at, say, my cash game plays. Now, if you're talking, if you're talking GPP, sure, you can say that everything's on the board, right? So, here's how I play for GPP. And we'll start with, how many lineups do I use? Well, I have my one cash game lineup. That's, of course, this goes, I have this set on each site, okay? So, each site, I have one cash lineup. They don't stray very far from each other. It's all based on the value of uh, uh, players that I put in there. You know, uh, mid-range wide receiver, you know, who's in, the, who's in a better value spot. Um, that kind of deal. So there's one cash game. And then for each site, there's three GPPs. Those don't stray too much from each other either. Now, between the three sites. Because if I'm going to be on it, I want to win as much as possible being on it, correct? So how do I go from my cash lineup to my GPP? Because cash lineup is what it gets built first. So... Pretty much what I do is I take a look within that cash lineup and I decide, okay, am I sticking with my running backs, usually two, usually just two on there, Um, am I sticking with my running backs or am I pivoting off of them to either do, you know, say a wide receiver in the flex, right, Uh, instead of a running back or instead of paying up, am I paying down? If not, if I decide no, these are my two running backs, then those become the two running backs that I run across the majority of the lineups. Maybe the third lineups where I pivot off of those running backs, but then if you look at it, I have nine GPP lineups so six of the nine will have that same two running backs. And then I work off of there, switching out wide receivers. Am I sticking with my tight end? Am I on that tight end? And I'm not moving from there. In general, you'll pretty much, if you kind of take it and go... These are my two guys here. You'll end up actually building. You'll actually start looking and you'll actually 
picture your own core four, if you will. Like the guys that you're not moving off of. And that might be, might even include a defense. Your pump down defense might be, say, your third. Your third uh, position that you're locking in. Uh, your tight end might be, you're, you're just like, you're straight up. I'm using this dude at tight end across the board. I'm not hedging it whatsoever. Maybe there's wider there's a couple wide receivers, you know, that you want to <coughs> change off of because you want to you know let, let's face facts. As far as wide receiver and tight end, right? They ha- they have to catch the passes just as much as the running back has to get the job done with his legs. But the running back's pretty much more guaranteed to have success in the right spots than, say, even a wide receiver. Because you're dealing with two players for the most part. You're dealing with not only the wide receiver or the tight end to catch the ball and do something with it, but you're also dealing with the quarterback getting it done as well so a lot of times like I said I'll leave my running backs you know I might go from 3 to 2 for the GPP just to kind of gain maybe a little bit more upside out of a guy maybe in a really fantastic spot but the wide receivers tend I tend to rotate that spot a lot more It also depends, too, if I'm game stacking. You know, this last weekend I was on what two games? Minnesota, Tampa Bay, and Tennessee, and Houston. So those were the stacks that I was rotating in there. Now, it sucks because Mike Evans got, you know, fucking hurt, so it kind of killed it, because I had a lot of Mike Evans for the the early slate, and for the, uh, not not so much for the 6K, but mainly for the the early slate, so it kind of screwed those lineups a bit, but, uh, nah, really, there's, I don't get off of, I don't get off of much, and that's because I've put the time in. In most of those, like I said, most of those lineups, when you look across the board, if you look at my cash lineup versus cash lineup, if you look at my GP, GPP1 versus my GPP1 over here, GPP2 versus GPP2 over here, and GPP3 versus GPP3 over here, they're very much the same. So I'm not really running that many different lineups, even though I'm running... 12 lineups across the slates. They don't stray that much. And that's what I implore you to do. Especially if you're doing, you know, two different two different sites. You know, FanDuel versus DK. Don't stray too much from your thought. Because what you'll do is you'll keep entering a different lineup, entering a different lineup. 
keep adding and adding and adding. And what you're doing is you're diluting your thought process on players. You become hesitant on every single player within your lineup. And I utilize this too. In, in the reason how I came around to this, because I used to do it. I used to run 10 lineups a week. But where I actually came to this thought comes from seasonal. A lot of fantasy analysts will tell you, get different across you know, however many leagues that you have. You want to be different just in case something happens that it doesn't fuck all your lineups over. Or all your teams, I should say, in your different leagues. And I said, no, that, no that's bullshit. Why would I do that instead of focusing on, okay, here's my targets... In, fantasy, in in seasonal drafts. And here's my fall behinds. You know, if they get taken, right? Because you're never going to make it through a draft without somebody taking somebody that you wanted, right? So, if you really look across all my seasonal teams, they're very similar as well. And I made a choice that Either I'm going to be really successful this year and I, I hit the nuts or it's going to be a struggle, but I can still get there through the waiver wire. So I took that thought process of I'm either right or I'm wrong and put it into DFS. Four lineups max per site. One cash, which also goes into a GPP, by the way, in case it hits the nuts. But one cash, or 50-50 lineup, if you will, and three GPPs. Don't do any more, or I'm telling you, you will drive yourself nuts each and every week because you will hedge the shit out of every single player within that lineup and what you've done is not really covered yourself you've actually hindered yourself because you've watered down every single lineup because you don't have faith in any of the players that you have involved in that lineup And then you have contest selection, of course. We'll, we'll leave it here on contest selection. We'll end it here on contest selection. So, we talk about it all the time. What, what kind of contest do you want to enter into? Well, it depends on what you're playing. If, you're doing, if we're talking cash GPPs, Yahoo pretty much follows suit with how FanDuel does it. You'll have... Uh, 100 team single entry 
50-50s. So 50, pl- 50 players uh, make money. They either double their money or if you're in the bottom half, you know, of course you lose. Yahoo does the same thing over there. It's exactly the same. On DK, it's a little bit different. Now, you'll see double-ups. You'll see the mega double-ups and all that. And those are fine and well. Um, I don't mind those. You want to stay above a certain number. Uh, general bar that I was always taught was 100 or more. Single entry, double-up slash 50-50s. Now on DK, it runs a little bit different. It's 124 spots for uh, 50-50s that I like. They'll do a 124 and then they have like a 62, I think it is, um, which I stay out of. It's 124. But what, here's the problem with those though. Okay, so... 50-50, right? You pay a little bit of rake over on FanDuel to have the top 50. On FanDuel, it's a, it's a true double up. But the problem is, is it's not. you don't have to come in the top 62. You got to come in the top 50 over there. So it's not a true 50-50. And you'll never find it on um, the higher double or the bigger double ups, it's the same thing. If you really look at it and you figure it out, it's not a true 50 50. It's more of a 40 60 in truth. Because basically, those 12 extra entries that were in your 50 50, uh, them. Plus what was, you know, left. Well, actually, no, no, no. Those 12 in the middle. So you have, if you were to go 50 plus 50, right? Okay. Actually, I'm sorry. So 24 that are in the middle, if you, if you would take the 50 that got paid, minus 50, right? So that's 100. There's still 24. So there's a 24 player margin in there that basically paid the rake for the contest. Just so your $10 didn't end up as 18. It ended up as a full 20. And it works the same with some of the double ups. And I've told people too, single entry. Don't do the three max. Single entry when you're doing 50-50s. You don't want anybody to get an extra shot in there at all. And you have to be careful with the triple ups, quadruple ups, thinking that those are cash games because they're not. And some of those double ups aren't cash games either. You have to look at what the payout structure is. If it's paying out the top 40%, fine. I'll let it take a little bit of the rig. But if it starts sneaking up lower than 40, say 35, 30, don't play it. 
Just don't even bother with it. GPPs, I'm not a single entry type guy because I play the three lineups. But I will put the cash game lineup in a single entry. And again, you got to check out your payout structure. Most of your GP, your GPPs, I'd like to have. Generally, you're looking for about 20%. I'd love to have 25% if I could. Doesn't happen very often. They are out there. But I'll take the 20%. Otherwise, I'm more of a 3-entry max and 20-entry max guy. Very rare. I won't say never. I'll just say very, very rarely would you ever find me in, say, the Millie Maker contest, right? Do I play the Mega Multi-Entry? Sure. Do I Mega Multi-Enter? No. Because I don't have any fucking time. And I wouldn't do it anyways. Because like I said, you're diluting your lineup most of the time. Most of the mega multi-entry contests that I enter are over at FanDuel. On DK, it's the 20-entry max and the 3-entry max for my GPP. But that that has more to do with how the payouts are structured. I'm not going to play a shitty contest of, or a contest that I should be playing like a 3-entry max over on FanDuel because most of those, they have just absolute garbage payouts for what you're putting in. I'm not paying, I'm not playing these games for like fucking free entries in the contest. I mean, it's nice if you're talking about working a satellite to work up to a live final entry. You know, a high price final, live uh, uh, final entry. Sure, all right, I get your satellites, but I'm not playing for tickets. I'm not playing for contests. Not giving them my money only to possibly maybe get into a better tournament to maybe possibly have a better shot at at money because everything works so week to week. You may think you have a handle on a contest. You may look ahead and say, I know where I'm going next week. And it could completely fucking change. Same goes for, like, say, the NBA and NHL. I see a lot of people, they want to play for free entries in a certain contest. Okay? Depends on how much I'm putting in there. But if you're telling me that you're putting $5 in for quite possibly to win a shot into, say, a $25 entry contest, nah, fuck that. I'm passing on it. It's not worth my time. Build your bank, build your bankroll up the correct way. Build it up through cash games. Earn it to afford, earn your bankroll so you can afford your higher entry level contests. Do it that way. 
think you'd have a lot more success. But I'm sure I've rambled on enough. I'm sure I've been going on, oh, yeah, probably about an hour. Probably about an hour. The thing of it is, I don't have any, you know, outro music other than, say, playing the intro. Because they changed everything after the Apple music so you couldn't buy the song and put it on this app. That's what really screwed me. And so I was like, oh, great. So I bought one Atreyu song, and that's all I'm ever going to get. Fantastic. But like I said, any que- any questions, comments, concerns, at RoyDog underscore 13 on Twitter and Instagram, Dennis M. Roy on Facebook. Like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. Let's build the base up. This podcast goes year-round. Granted, after the Super Bowl, we're probably going back down to two podcasts a week. But that's because I'm still working on content for the upcoming season. That's right, folks. Season three of the Doghouse Fantasy Football Podcast and the Doghouse Spreadsheets articles, draft guide, they all will start one week after the Super Bowl ends in February. So until next podcast, everybody have yourselves a great day. And as Dr. Roto always says, be well, take care.